something I've noticed, and I think it's unfortunate, um, is that nobody approaches faith, nobody approaches God uh, without bias. Uh, we all come uh, to God with some kind of preconceived ideas of who uh, we think God is or who we should think um, or who we think he should be. Uh, nobody d- does. I mean, I, I, w- I would challenge, um, and it's not just for people who don't know about God or, you know, that we, you'd be considered not a Christian or something like that. I mean, they do it. Uh, as Christians, oftentimes we approach God. Uh, with bias. And, and again, I think this is true for if you've been a Christian for a year or 80 years, I don't think it's any different. We're always, uh, we have this um, propensity to come to God with our expectations and somehow make him fit into our beliefs and our expectations of who he is and who he should be. And we don't ever do it objectively. We're always um, trying to mold God into something that is portable, something that makes sense to us, something that doesn't make us uh, too uncomfortable. And uh, that's really why we're tackling uh, this series called Who is God? And we're really seeking to answer this question. And of course, I'm going to say this, um, but this now more than ever, it's, it's a great series to go back if you miss any weeks. Um, it started in early January and, and just see uh, kind of how this uh, series has progressed uh, because answering this question, who is God, is so incredibly vital. I think for skeptics, if you're not sure about the whole God thing, you're not sure where you stand with Jesus and all that kind of stuff, I'm, first of all, I'm glad you're here. The second thing I would like to say uh, for this series, my hope for skeptics is that um, you can, after the series is over, that you'd be able to re- reject God or to accept God on the basis of who he actually claimed to be. Not just some idea that we had because we were drugged to, you know, Sunday school as a kid. Plus, you know, you kind of started coming back to church recently. And, you know, you've heard some things, you've read some things, and we kind of hodgepodge together this, this view of God. That you'd actually be, do, be able to accept him or reject him based on who he claimed to be and, and nothing else. Um, and if you're a Jesus person, my hope for this series is that you would grow in your knowledge of the true and living God. Why? Because I think it's important that we live in the light of who God is and not just who we think he should be. Because, uh, I mean, you've probably met people before, you know, who say they're Jesus people. Um, and you, you see areas of their life that's like, that's not consistent with who the God of the Bible is. You're like, what is that? And so, again, I think for Jesus people, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, this should challenge us to look and make sure that we are living in the light of who God claimed to be, not just who, uh, what makes sense to us and what we think he should be or who we think he should be. Uh, I've been blown away just reading um, for school. I'm reading this, this awesome, uh, awesome textbook uh, about just uh, Christianity in context of the world. Like, you know, people in Africa who grew up in slums, they're, they're looking at God, the God of the Bible, and they see him from a completely different perspective than American Christians. And it's like, well, we come to these ideas of who God is, and we compare them, and we're like, well, what's, what's not lining up? You know, what is that? And, and so I think it's, it's really good to look at, uh, at God objectively without our, just wipe out our preconceived notions of who he is and let the text speak. Let him say who he actually is and live in light of that. For Jesus' people, like I said, it's so important that we live in light of the true God, not just some version that we've created up in our own mind, because uh, it's so influenced by our life experience, um, 
our, our culture and, and all these different things. And so that would be my hope for the series uh, for Christians. Um, and Paul really echoes this sentiment in Ephesians when he says this, he's talking about equipping and growing in your knowledge of God. He's like this growth, it will continue until we've all come to such a unity in our faith and a knowledge of God's son. And he's like, when you come to this unity and faith and this knowledge of God's son, he's like, you won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I'm like, when I look at branches in the future, I'm like, I don't want us to be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And there's so much, I mean, it's rampant. Information today, now more than ever, we don't even know how to deal with it. It's so rampant. So how do we not be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching? Well, we need to come to this place of knowledge of God's son. That's what we're doing there in the series. He says, then we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. How many of you know that the enemy's primary tactics, tactic is a lie? Yeah. You know, things that kind of get past your first level of defenses, that passes the sniff test. You're like, yeah, this is all right. This will be okay. I'll let that in, that influence, whatever it is. You're like, that seems right. That sounds right. It tickles my ears. Maybe that's okay. It's like, no, we, I don't want to be a church that's tricked by lies so clever that they sound like truth. So it's important that we get to this knowledge of God and who he said he was. I want to pray for us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the times where you've revealed yourself um, to the world and that we can read back in scripture and see who you truly claim to be, Lord. Would you work on our hearts, convict us of areas in our lives uh, that are not consistent with who you really are, God. Challenge our thoughts, challenge our preconceived notions, God. Your ways are higher than our ways. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, just a quick recap, we explored, actually, we'll go back a couple weeks, we explored that Jacob, when God had an interaction with him, he showed for the first time that he is a God that's near. And it really, it, it comes in stark contrast to a wide belief that most uh, uh, Americans would say they believe in some kind of God. But that God is much more in this like deistic sense. He's like up here and we're down here and we're not interacting at all. They just operate on different planes. And this revelation that when he came to Jacob, he actually said, no, look, at he was standing there right next to him. And there was a whole ladder, the stairway to heaven, kind of Led Zeppelin thing going on, you know. They were connected. It was funny. Whatever. <laughs> I thought it was funny. But they were, they were connected by the stairway. And as we read throughout scripture that Jesus himself would actually become this stairway, this connection point between heaven and earth. And that God's not some distant God who operates on a different plane, although he is transcendent. And he's so high above that we can't fully understand or grasp or control him. He's up here, but he also connects with us. Jesus serving as that perfect stairway, the connection point between heaven and and earth. I mean, this is a huge revelation with huge implications for our life. And last week we talked about the moment when God showed up to Moses and he revealed his name. He said, this is my name because names are important, you know. And so he showed up to Moses and he's like, I'm Yahweh. I am who I am or I will be who I will be. And you're like, what does that really mean? But in those moments too, he was, he was, he was showing up as like a burning bush before that. But the bush wasn't actually consuming itself, so he's doing this supernatural miracle right in front of him to show that he exists outside of our understanding of physical limitations, that he is supernatural, 
right? He showed that in all that, he's self-sustaining. He's powerful. And he, even in the midst of uh, those truths about him, he actually determines that he will connect himself to us, that he will bind himself to broken and useless people and make them useful and to make them whole. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that even in our brokenness and all his power, he connects himself to us. And so in the, between the time from last week and this week, uh, as we kind of continue the story, what had happened is uh, Moses indeed did lead the, the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery where they had been for hundreds and hundreds of years, out uh, into the wilderness. And, uh, and, and, and it's crazy because you see, again, the, the, uh, God's promise now being fulfilled because he told Moses, he's like, you're going to worship me on this very mountain uh, someday. And I will have done great things through you. So we'll get to that in a moment. So we, we talked about the divine name and what that means and the implications for our lives. And name, what it really does is uh, it begins to uh, create this relationship. Because in order to have a relationship with someone, you have to know their name. But it, it fails to fully answer, um, you know, who is God? Because in order to know who is God, we have to know what God is like. I mean, what's his personality? How does he, how does he act? All these things. And that's where we get to this topic of character that we're talking today. Not in like the good, does he have good or bad character in the sense as much as, as it is, what is he like? How does he act? How does he behave? You know, character is the way someone thinks, feels, behave. It's their personality. And when I think of someone uh, whose personality, their character that I've appreciated, it's my mom. Um, <clears throat> my mom is an incredible person. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I remember about growing up in, 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 in our house is that she was, um, she was consistent. Uh, if I did something that warranted discipline, uh, she would come down with a pretty heavy hand, quite literally, at times. And, uh, but, but in that, like, I knew on the other side of it that there was grace and that there was love and that she was doing it now in hindsight for my benefit. And one of the things that kind of drove me crazy at the time about my mom is that she was consistent. If she ever told me, man, you're, you're grounded. Even if she came down and like, I'm like, the punishment doesn't fit the crime here, mama. Like she would be like, sorry, I said it. I have to follow through with it. Like she would follow through to what I considered a fault back then. Looking back, I appreciate the consistency. Again, knowing that there's love and that there's grace on the other end of that. And it's such a beautiful thing because when I think about bad character, bad personality traits, we've all met people like that. You know, we may be struggling with that ourselves. Um, but everybody, I think for the most part, has like good personality traits. They have good personality moments. But the catch is, are they consistent in it? You may meet someone one day and you're like, this is the greatest person I've ever met. Like, I'm in love. This person's incredible. And then the next day you act the exact same way and they react different. And you're like, wait a second. You know, something's not consistent here. I would actually argue that the greatest personality or character flaw is inconsistency. Why? Because we don't know how we are supposed to act in response to that. So we're, again, exploring the, 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 the character, the personality of God today. So in Israel's case, we think about this. In Israel's case, they knew some things about God. They knew that he was near. But again, understanding uh, someone's character is a vital part of, their health, of a healthy relationship. Whether it's relationships between peers and people or our relationship between us and God, we have to understand what he is like, how he will react in different situations and, and in relation to what we do. Um, this is an important thing about uh, establishing an understanding of who God is and a relationship 
with him. And so we knew, again, Israel knew that God was near. We knew that he had determined himself to bind himself to imperfect people. Uh, we knew that he was a self-sustaining, and now that he was an all-powerful God, when he standed, stood up next to the greatest uh, nation in the world at the time, Egypt, and he said, you know, Moses did his let my people go thing. And a group of slaves actually stood up against the greatest nation in the world and won. Why? Because God worked through them miraculously and powerfully. So God, he is all powerful. But again, it fails to explain what is he like? Is he kind? Like, is he rude? Maybe he's going to fly off the handle and he gets really upset and he's short-tempered. Maybe he's, maybe he's just angry in general. Maybe he's just like overbearing and, and clingy. Like they didn't know at the time. And so we're going to pick up and see what... Uh, God's revelation of his character looked like. Exodus 32, verse 1. Um, again, Moses had led the people out of, out of Egypt. Now they find themselves at Mount Sinai. If you remember last week, uh, God had promised them, he's like, you're, you're going to give me glory because um, I, you're going to worship me at this very mountain after I've done great things through you. And you're going to remember back that, hey, I gave you these promises and I was faithful to those promises. So Moses is kind of having this like spiritual high moment where he's like, God, you've been so great. He goes up to the mountain to meet with him at this intimate, close level to again, now he was up there to, to receive the 10 commandments to go give them to his people. Like these are the things we're going to live by. And while he's up there, something happens that's kind of wild. So when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, who was like kind of the second command. Uh, they said, come on, let us make some gods that can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. You're like, what? Are you serious? Like, how could you forget? I mean, he's in this place of God's promise. Again, maybe he didn't tell people that. It's like, I saw this. I saw the hand of God on my whole life and this whole situation. Now he's brought us here. And Israel's just down there. It's like, oh, let's, we forgot about Moses who just, you know, parted the Red Sea and led us out of slavery and bondage where he'd been for 400 years. We forgot about him. You think about like, what's your response to that? You look at him, you're like, what a bunch of idiots, right? I mean, how could they? How foolish? How... I mean, it's ridiculous, right? We'd never do that. I mean, look, they were just easily swayed and blown about by every wind of new teaching that came their way. They knew something firmly one day, and the next day it was like, well, really? Is that really how it happened? Maybe I just, it was a natural parting of the Red Sea and just all this stuff. Maybe they just let us go because they wanted to, kind-hearted Egyptians or whatever. Like maybe chalk it up to natural things. There's so easily swayed, tossed, and blown about by every wind of new teaching, tricked with lies so clever that they sound like truth. And you put it that way, that's us. And we like to look at Israel and be like, what a bunch of idiots. I look at my own life and I'm like, that's me. I mean, we too, right? We are too easily swayed to forget about the God, goodness of God and his provision in our lives. And I think the way uh, in which we address this and avoid this situation is to build trust. We need to build trust and understand who God truly is and begin to trust him more. And, and maybe we can give the Israelites the benefit of the doubt. God hadn't showed up to this point and said, hey, this is what I am like. But he was about to. Because Israel, I mean, like us, they wanted to find God. They wanted to define him. They wanted this golden calf to be a God of their own creation. They could understand how it was built, how it works. They can explain it away. We like a God that we're comfortable with. We do the same thing. 
We like a God that doesn't challenge us too much. What is a golden calf going to challenge you on? Right? I mean, they wanted a God that they can mold and build. And we look at this and we're like, that's so ancient and foreign. It's really not that ancient and foreign because we do the same thing. We want a portable God that we can carry around, that we can explain away, that we can control, that doesn't control us. And this is exactly what Israel is doing. It's the plight of humanity and their sin throughout history. And it will continue to be, right? They wanted a portable God. They wanted uh, a God because they wanted to be autonomous. They wanted to be control, just like us. They wanted to define God, uh, but they didn't know God was about to define himself in a big way. So we're going to pick this up in uh, Exodus 32, verse 9. Then the Lord said, and he's ticked, a little bit upset. It's like, how could you forget? He's upset. He said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord. He said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and a strong hand? And so Moses goes through and he uh, seeks to pacify the Lord. And he continues on and he appeals to him over and over again. And you see the result of that is the Lord actually says it changed, he changed his mind. Like what? Wait a second. He changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. I think there's a couple things that we, this may be challenging to some of us. There's a couple things we need to understand here that, that the author's trying to tell us is that prayer is important. That prayer truly does affect the heart of God. His appeal to him. And you may look at God and you're like, wait a second. That doesn't seem consistent. He seems short-tempered. He's about to wipe out his people that he promised to. Isn't that inconsistent? And I would argue that we could go into the details on like, was he really going to destroy them? I don't know. He seemed like it, and he changed his mind. But I, I think what God's trying to show here, more than anything, is a glimpse into what is probably his most uh, prominent character trait. He's looking at Israel, and he's like, make no mistake. This is where Israel stands. They're in opposition to me. They have treated my promises with contempt. They have turned away from me. They've forgotten my faithfulness. And he's like, they deserve death. They deserve punishment. But what does he give them? He gives them grace. He's illustrating his great grace. He's like, make no mistake, this is what they deserve. This is what they deserve. Yeah, he gives them something else. And we get a glimpse into God's most prominent character trait here. And so Moses continues on and he wants to know uh, God even more fully. He's like, great, I got this glimpse of your character. Like, please show me your face. Let me know you deeply and intimately. God's like, you can't handle the face, right? He's like, you can't see me like that. But he does actually end up revealing his character. He brings Moses back up. He's like, hey, you were kind of ticked too. He threw the tablets down, broke them. And God's like, hey, come up. Let's try this thing again. So he meets him back up on the mountain. And God steps down and he reveals his character in this great revelation. And the Lord came down in a cloud. And he stood there again now with Moses. And he called out his own name. He says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, giving him, again, just a glimpse, calling out Yahweh, and he actually repeats himself here. It's like a duplicate. He just says, I am who I am, I am who I am. He's like, make no mistake, I'm the self-creating, all-powerful, self-determining God. He says, the God of compassion. 
That's where we get this grace. Other, other versions say grace. God of compassion and mercy. And guess what else? I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And I lavish love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he also says on the flip side of this, look, I, I don't excuse the guilty. The people who are unrepentant, that won't turn to me. He's like, there's consequence for that. And I lay the sins of their parents upon children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected by the sin, even the children in the third and fourth generation. Our actions have serious consequences. But God in this, again, I mean, he reveals his character and it's such a beautiful thing because at this revelation, when God shows up and does this, Moses falls on his face and he begins to worship Yahweh. And he's like, dude, you're, he's like, you're incredible. Like this thing, this revelation is so incredibly powerful. I mean, to Moses at the time, who knew God arguably better than anybody throughout history at this moment, and he's still just in awe of what God had just revealed. And I think we too should be in awe of God's mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. I mean, this is good news for us. And he looks at us and our shortcomings and our imperfection, and he commits himself to us. While what? We don't deserve it. Again, that's... That's his grace showing through. I think in some ways, as we look at the character of God, it seems too good to be true. Seems too good to be true. Have you ever met someone before who seems too good to be true? Like your first meeting? Again, I don't want to add anybody, but like the old adage, like I'm sure there's great ones out there, but like you, you go to a used car lot or something like that. And the guy comes out and he's like super like, hey, he just wants to give you a great deal today. Like, you, you wanna, you, you're going to be happier when you leave today. And you're like, wow, this is the nicest guy I ever met. Like, is it going to be consistent, though? Like, is that going to be consistent? Have you ever met someone with a character too good to be true? You should have your guard up. Like, well, is this how they're always going to be? Or is there a catch? Like, what's the catch? And usually the catch is inconsistency. Are they going to be like that time and time again? And so sometimes we approach God, we're like, is he going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he going to continue on in this way that he said he would? It's one thing to say something, right? It's another thing to actually do it. And surely, I mean, the Israelites struggle with this throughout Scripture. You can read this. It's like, uh, is he going to be trustworthy? And they quickly went back and back and back. And we see throughout Scripture in this kind of meta narrative that he was actually faithful time and time again. And I just think about my own kids. It's like they need to be reminded over and over again that I love them. It's like they can forget it day in and day out. It's like, if I don't tell them, if I don't show them over and over and over again, they think because I told them no, that I am just trying to ruin their lives. Some of you guys got teenagers. You know what I'm talking about. Mine aren't even teenagers yet. I got a seven-year-old going on 13, and I'm already, whew, figuring it out. Thank goodness I was a youth pastor for a couple of years, so I got a little jump start on that. Um, but it's like they need to be reminded time and time again because they so easily forget. And I feel like as we look throughout Scripture, we see God like the perfect Father doing this time and time and time again. In fact, even when we are chronically inconsistent, we see God's character is consistent throughout Scripture. In fact, the Exodus where we just read uh, where he reveals his character is the most cross-referenced verse in the entire Bible. 27 times in just the Old Testament, this is echoed, this sentiment, this, th these words are echoed over and over and over again over the span of another 1,500 years or so. God's character and it, through other authors is echoing what, who God 
or what God was like over and over and over again. The prophet Joel said it in Joel 2 for 13. He says, return to the Lord your God for he is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger and filled with ever or unfailing love. He is eager to relent and to not punish. Does it sound familiar? What about this one? Jonah 4.2, you know, just eaten by the fish or the whale or whatever. And this whole thing, he's running from God. He says, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He's like, I knew this about you. How'd you know this? Because he'd been consistent over and over again. The psalmist in Psalm 145, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He knew something about this God. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers with compassion on all creation. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 86, oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all those who ask for your help. I mean, this is consistent through scripture again, over and over again. The character of God is shown through many generations and many people in different parts of the world. I mean, it's incredible. So God's character is consistent. This is good news. God's character is consistent. Because it's consistent, we can trust him. Again, this is good news. His character is consistent, so we know in season and out what he's going to look like. Because we can know God's character, right? Because we can know God's character, we can have confidence how he will be in every situation. He never changes. This is good news. And, And I think like a, like a fine wine or cheese or whatever. It gets better with time, with age. Uh, His character just continued as we look throughout scripture, just kept on getting better and better and better until it finally became manifest in a person, Jesus. I mean, it just kept on getting better and better. I mean, uh, God's character became a person of Jesus, the son of God, when he stepped out of heaven. Again, echoing all what we knew about God throughout history in a body full of, of mercy and love, compassion, forgiving. I mean, he was full of grace. He was grace in a body, right? And in his ultimate act of grace, when he hung up on a cross for the sins of the world, crucified by the people he came to save. You look at that, you're like, what? God does that? Like, that's crazy. I mean, that, that, that's incredible. That's grace. He hung up on the cross, again, crucified by the people he came to save. And we can look at that and we're like, you know, we'd never do that. And it's like in Romans 5 when Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in sin, while we wanted nothing to do with him, he came to us anyway. And he died for us. All right, this is good news. This is what Jesus came to do. And I love how the author of Hebrews kind of sums this idea of God's character up, this truth of God's character up. Hebrews 6, 18. He says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. I love that word. It's like, what's unchangeable? Besides God, I mean, what's unchangeable? Everything changes. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, because of this, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. 
And then he describes this hope as an anchor. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls that leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And this is good news. When I think about how God's character affects us today, I mean, it extends to all areas of our life, especially this reality of his consistency. It extends to all areas of our life. Because again, the world is full of like, I don't know, winds of new teaching, of information. And we're still figuring out as, as people how to, to, to uh, decipher and how to wade through all the, just the information that we get. I mean, from everywhere. It's like, how do we react to, you know, the atrocities going on in other areas or things that we perceive uh, as atrocities? And it just seems overwhelming at times. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but like I wake up and I read the news or I hear something something going on somewhere or even my own relational battles and all this stuff. And I'm like, which way is up? Like, I'm just so like, where am I? And then I start asking God inevitably, God, where are you in this? And it's like he's saying, like, I haven't moved. Like, you're moving. I'm not. I'm here. He's an anchor, right? He's, he's steady. He's always there. He's consistent. And it's like we need to go back and grab a hold of that anchor day in and day out. And this affects our life so much because in this ever-changing world, God is the only constant. And that's good news for us. He's always there. He's never changing. Again, we look at the world and we don't know how to make sense of all that. He's like, you don't have to. He's like, I will. I've been doing it forever. I did it yesterday. I'm going to do it today and I'm going to do it for the rest, the end of time. And we continue on being consistent. This is good news for us. This is good news. We need to live in the light of who God said that he was. It's a game changer for our lives. Game changer. When I think about what, how this affects us and our pain and our brokenness, because I know there's some people with some pain and brokenness in here. And we, we talk a lot about if you've been around like addiction circles and stuff like that, you, you talk about like rock bottom. And rock bottom sounds like such a horrible place. And physically and mentally, it can be a horrible place. But I would argue that when you're at rock bottom, you're, you may actually be closer to grace than you'll ever will be on the other side of grace. Because that's where he meets you. That's when you're at the end of yourself. That's when you're like, I can't make a God that I control. I've tried and it doesn't work. And God's like, I'm right here and I'm steady. Rock bottom's not such a bad place. He's like, just look to me, just turn to me. Give your life to me, give control over to me. He's like, I'll pick you up. I'll take you out of your mess. He's been doing it for centuries. (laughs) He's not stopping anytime soon. And this is good news. He's a God that forgives God that loves, full of mercy, compassion, grace. I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for who you are, who you showed yourself to be. Lord, would this be a church that walks in the light of you and you alone? God, help us to put aside our own views of you, the constructs, the things that we've built, saying that it's my life plus a little bit of God. God, would we just be a church that hands over complete and total control of you, God, forgive us for uh, creating anchor points in our life that aren't of you, that we think we can hold on to, God, that just like sand shift over and over again. God, help us to grab a hold of the true anchor that is you. Lord, if there's people in here today who don't know you, would you draw them to yourself? 
God, would you help them to know that in their pain, their brokenness, their loneliness, their disconnectedness, that you are a God who's near. You're quick to forgive, Lord. And would they turn to you and just cry out, God, I need you to forgive me. Help me to live for you. Forgive me for my sins. Lead me in your best, Lord.